Uh, Tamara, yeah, welcome to First Up. It's Ramiri. You made it. It's Friday, the 24th of February. Call Nathan Rarere Aho. Coming up, did you know it's been a rain soaked summer? Apparently, yeah, more wet weather on the way. Uh, is it time to get used to this subtropical climate? We'll also keep an eye on rain warnings around the nation for you this morning, too. There's an eagle on the loose in New York City. Bevan Hurley has his eyes on the skies in the Big Apple, and a Tolaga Bay farmer shows us how high the floodwaters got at his livestock as his livestock tried to escape. How did the fence break? Uh, the cows went over top of it. So they were swimming for their lives? Yeah. They all make it? No, sorry, if you look, I don't want to say that for you on here, but no, that's all right. get, there's some hung up in the tree down here. There's five of them didn't make it trying to swim. Oh, I'm sorry, right? Yeah, they got caught up. Kia ora everybody, welcome to the Friday edition of First Up, just having a look at some of my old social media there and uh, see a few friends in Hawke's Bay saying it was hard to sleep at the moment because of all the rain that's uh, coming down overnight, so quite heavy and uh, yeah, so look, what we'll do is during the programme we'll keep an eye on where the conditions for you, I see it's actually quite heavy uh, up around Tairawhiti I always refer to it as up around because I grew up in Hawke's Bay, so there you go, uh, yeah in, in Tairawhiti, so we'll keep an eye on uh, rain warnings for you but of course there's quite a bit of heavy rain through till about 9 o'clock tonight around areas that have probably already got a little bit of oh geez it's raining again uh, sort of uh, feelings going on so we'll keep up to date on those for you but as we do on Fridays now we'll begin our program in the United States of America uh, with our correspondent Bevan Hurley uh, morning to Bevan morning to Nathan Let's talk about President Biden there. He's been, been on, he's racking up his air points. He's been to Ukraine, he's been to Poland, a few other countries. And then a, a former president has been in Ohio. That's right. Yeah, we, we woke uh, to the news on Monday that President Biden was in Kiev on a secret trip to mark the one-year anniversary of the Russian invasion and saw those remarkable images of him wandering around the streets with President Zelensky as the air raid sirens were blaring in the background. But rather unsurprisingly, he's been copping a lot of criticism from his Republican opponents for supposedly prioritising foreign affairs over the range of domestic issues that he's facing. Um, and yesterday, his likely opponent in the 2024 presidential election Donald Trump travelled to East Palestine in Ohio, which was the site of that catastrophic train derailment and toxic chemical spill earlier this month. And the former president gave one of his typically meandering and self-promoting speeches. He bragged about bringing clean Trump water to families whose lives were upended and bought McDonald's for some local firefighters. And it was all a bit reminiscent of that trip to Puerto Rico in 2020 after a hurricane that devastated the island when he sort of casually tossed out paper towels. Um, but the pro- pro- contrast he was trying to make was clear that Donald Trump cares about the regular folks of the US while Biden is off protecting other countries. And the fact that he arrived on the ground before either Mr. Biden or the Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg um, had got there shows how Republicans were trying to turn the environmental disaster into a referendum on a supposed lack of federal care with um, the needs of red state America. Uh, Now, in reality, the Biden administration has had officials from key agencies on the ground since the derailment and has ordered that railroad company Norfolk Southern to perform a cleanup and cover expenses. And it's also worth pointing out the regulations governing how toxic waste was transported by rail were relaxed under the Trump administration. But meanwhile, the residents who are caught up in the fallout from this freight train that, you know, smothered their town with a toxic cloud of of carcinogenic dust and and really upended their lives, uh, remain afraid to return to their homes and drink the water. And that mistrust in local, state and federal officials is rampant. It's all right. They've got Trump water now. 
Um, I was wondering too when you said that what he calls a Big Mac. This is a Trump Trump burger. It's my my Trump giant. <laughs> yeah, so, um, while we're talking about uh, regulations and stuff, interesting case in front of the Supreme Court at the moment. Can you tell us about the Section Two Three O Internet Laws? Absolutely. The Supreme Court heard oral arguments in Gonzalez v. Google on Tuesday, and it's a case that tech experts say could potentially transform the internet as we know it. It's examining whether tech giants like Facebook, Twitter and Google should be liable for content posted on their platforms, and it's been brought by the family of Nohemi Gonzalez, who was a 23-year-old tourist who was caught up in that horrific um, Paris terror attack in 2015. Now, her family are arguing that algorithms on the Google-owned YouTube platform recommended Islamic State propaganda videos that helped the terrorist group recruit trainees. And, of course, currently, all of those internet companies are shielded from being sued over posts on their sites because of the Section 230 of the 1996 Communications Decency Act, which states that no provider or user of a company's computer service shall be treated as the publisher or speaker of any information on that platform. And Section 230 has been credited with allowing these tech behemoths to grow unchecked at the expense of traditional media companies and become the largest and most powerful companies in the world. Um, now, whether um, nine Supreme Court justices who range in age from 51 to 74 are the right people to be making such a momentous decision is a very valid question. And um, during Tuesday's arguments, they sounded very wary of making any significant changes to such a foundational part of internet law. But there are other cases coming down the pike. So, you know, keep an eye on this one. It's a, it's, it's a really interesting case. No, you keep an eye on the skies in New York City because apparently there is a, an eagle on the loose. I thought every American city would have to have at least 100 eagles. Uh, I, I love the story, Nathan. Um, Flacco, the Eurasian eagle owl, um, escaped from the Central Park Zoo on February 2nd after vandals cut the stainless steel meshing around the enclosure where he'd lived for nearly all of his 13 years. And it came after um, a spate of theft and vandalism at other US zoos. Uh, but since then, Flacco has been roaming free around Central Park, eluding would-be ca- uh, captors, including NYPD cops and park officials, and has amassed a legion of fans. And there were concerns that captivity might have robbed him of those natural hunting instincts. Um, And zoo officials tried to lure him back into his cage using bait and recordings of other eagle owls. But the wily old owl decided that he preferred his newfound freedom. And he's since proven that he can actually make it here in the big smoke. He's been uh, stuffing himself on Central Park's plentiful bounty of rats. And after a social media campaign, an online petition was set up calling for Flacco to remain free. Uh, This week, zoo officials announced that they were suspending recovery operations and uh, Flacco will be free to continue to roam around uh, around the city. Well, there we go. It'll soar and fly high. Uh, thank you very much there, Bevan. It says here on Wikipedia, the Eurasian eagle owl is amongst the larger birds of prey, smaller than the golden eagle, but larger than the snowy owl. And uh, it looks more like an owl than an eagle. Come on. Uh, but it weighs 2.7 uh, kilograms, so they're quite big. There we are. Uh, look out for one of those. Seems it's really just an owl piggybacking off eagle to try and sound cooler. First up here at RNZ National with me, Nathan Raderig. Bit of bird talk, you love it. Uh, Nabil Ahmed is strategically placed in Ghana. Uh, that's where we like to have Nabil when he's here. Kia ora, Nabil, how are you? Oh, fine, thank you, Nathan. Hello. Hello. Tell me this, um, a Nigerian Senate candidate has been shot dead. Tell us about that. Well, Nathan, you know we've been talking about the Nigerian election coming up on Saturday for for some weeks now. And indeed, as the election draws 
near tension is rising in the country and the insecurity has also gotten worse now this nigerian senator candidate uh was shot dead and bent alive i mean bent by attackers while he was returning from uh, a campaign rally in some parts of the country and it raised a whole lot of concerns as to how things are getting heated up ahead of the elections and it wasn't just him um some of his team members were also shot dead and um uh, we understand that people are now praying that come saturday which is the 25th of february when the elections will be held um they are hoping that everything will go on peacefully uh for them to have that particular crucial elections uh, later mm. uh we just heard about uh, an eagle owl in new york i see a mosquito which is new to africa is bringing malaria to kenya year round that's terrible nabil it is, uh, Nathan. It's really terrible. Now, Kenyan uh, researchers detected this mosquito, uh, which is native to South Asia, and is resistant to insecticides being used uh, in Africa. Now, the experts are saying that this particular mosquito is, uh, I mean, able to uh, transmit malaria every time of the year. Uh, malaria is usually ripe during the rainy season but this time around this particular um, uh, mosquito is able to transmit it even during the dry season and a lot of people have already contracted the disease and it's become very worrying for a lot of people in kenya uh, but then the researchers are hoping that uh, i mean some antidote or some medicines will be found to be able to tackle this particular uh, uh, mosquito species later you know, something here that New Zealanders can relate to right now, I see a red alert in Mozambique as a cyclone makes landfall. Tell us about that. Yes, uh, we understand that uh, Mozambique is preparing for this cyclone Freddy, and authorities are setting up shelters and preparing to evacuate people uh, in high-risk areas as the uh, Southern Africa country braces for this particular cyclone uh, Freddy. Now, um, already there was a, 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 a cyclone that made a landfall in neighboring Madagascar on Tuesday, uh, and it killed about five people. And this particular one that is coming uh, 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 Mozambique, people are really scared for their lives. And we know that uh, New Zealand also experienced something like, like that a couple of weeks ago. So people are just for this particular, I mean, uh, natural <laughs> disaster. And, and finally, speaking of animals on the loose too, uh, a lioness on the loose in South Africa, but I, I thought they would roam naturally around South Africa. <laughs> well, uh, lions, lions can be found in South Africa, but then they do not go roaming on the streets. They are usually kept in the zoo or uh, reserve areas. But this particular a lioness was being transported to another place and then uh, we understand that it jumped off the track that was being carried in and now uh, it can't be found so um, these uh, uh, people are now on their hands for this particular lioness and people have been cautioned that there is indeed a lioness on the loose so they should be very uh, careful when they go about uh, moving about uh, along the streets and people have been urged to report to the police station when they come across a lioness on the street well uh, you keep safe thank you very much and uh, bill there apparently that comes after two tigers went on the loose in two separate incidents last month in Kalteng province as well
Let's have a look out there. It is 17 and a half past five because we're being very exact here at First Up and RNZ National. Back home now and to a bit of rugby news. One match puts the Pacific part firmly in Super Rugby Pacific in this weekend's opening round of the new season. So Auckland's Mount Smart Stadium is expected to be full of life as Moana Pacifica take on the Fiji and Drua uh, to start their respective 2023 campaigns. Clay Wilson caught up with Moana Pacifica's star first five Christian Lea Leofano and started by asking the former Wallabies playmaker about how much smoother preparations had been compared to the debut season of 2022. We had to accelerate everything in our program, even our game, things like that. But to have another year where we sort of know each other really well, had a year to connect and understand how we play and go about our day-to-day has been really helpful. What we've been doing now is being able to sort of set our values for the for the season and set some benchmarks and um, get into some hard work too because it's um, yeah we were sort of underdone probably last year and we were I thought done incredibly well to get through my season unscathed. We had maybe a couple of big injuries, but considering uh, six games in 20 odd days or something like that was ridiculous. Um, it's nice to guys to get some hard work in, understand the expectations of Super Rugby and they've had a taste of it and what we're looking for now. Does a better preparation come with increased expectations? A season under your belt, sort of eight or nine months since then, and coming in on a much better platform this year, does that does that come with more expectation for you guys? Yeah, I think it naturally will. We're expecting more of ourselves as well because we know and believe um, what we're capable of. Um, we showed it in glimpses, and that's just about building consistency and comes from our, our day-to-day hard work out here and connecting together. So, yeah, I think there'll be a lot of expectation from externally, but in- internally as well, I'm feeling there's a different feel to the group um, and understanding we can do so much more and um, represent our people as best as we can. First round here is, is a big one for you guys getting the, the draw. What's it like having that as a first-up game and what are your expectations for that game here? Special, Mount man. How special. We're stoked that, um, yeah, we'll get to kick off Super Rugby here at Mount Rarotonga, Mount Smart. Against our um, fellow Pacific Fijians, eh, it's going to be really, really special. Our expectations for us is to go out and, and perform as, as best we can and, and, and get a good performance in, get the season off to a good start. Um, and you don't want to sort of set outcomes too, too early. But yeah, how special is that going to be in front of our people Yeah, to, to really kickstart the new year? And then I think April, mid-April, you get to go to Samoa. How hard is it not to have one eye on that and how much is the team oh. looking forward to that? What do you expect from that experience? One eye, mate. My wife's already <laughs> booking flights. Our family already locked that in. How special is that going to be? And I think, in essence, what this team's all about. Um, we represent the Pacific and the more games we can get over there and um, to showcase the, the game and inspire the people that we're playing for. To take it over there and see the Samoan people. And there's a few in, in the team that have represented Samoa as well. So... It's going to be really special for a lot of us and with their heritage, but not only us, I think a lot of the Pacific will um, be excited to hopefully try to get games in their nations, you know, so really, really special and I'm, I'm glad and grateful that um, they're taking a game over to Pacific because it's Super Rugby Pacific, right? And we want to try and get as many games as we can over there. 20 past five, Nathan Rarida here at First Up on RNZ National. Coming up, uh, a weather expert tells us if these flood-soaked summers are going to be a regular thing for Aotearoa. And First Up's Minister of Fruit and Veg is here with the fruit of the week. There they are standing in the rear. Big ones, small ones, some as big as your head. Time for a slightly different tack this week as we get smart about what's out there. It's Glenn Forsyth with us, the Minister of Fruit and Veg, also leader of the uh, the First Up Subcommittee on Frozen uh, Fruit and Veg. Uh, kia ora, Glenn, how are you? 
Very well, when we're in the Nathan LU. Got to say that you're heading up a task force, that's what we do. We, we appoint them as task force. The fresh market, look, kind of eerily quiet this week, isn't it? So I, I like this pivot that you've done. Tell us about it, Glenn. Oh, heck, it was tough work walking the markets yesterday. Every salesperson we asked the exact question, give us one of your lines in full supply. The replies were all the same, nothing. Well, I mean, we did find three lines in good supply, brown onions, spring onions, and new season apples. Now, there is always a safe option at times like these, however, and that is frozen vegetables. We reached out to Gary Stewart, sorry, beg your pardon, Greg Stewart this week, general manager of Tally's, who have a magnificent range of on offer this year. Now, so yeah, it has been tough um, frozen vegetables too after a poor pea, pea season in Canterbury. And although most of their product is grown in the South Island, they certainly feel for the growers in the north after the cyclone. All Tally's brand vegetables are 100% New Zealand grown, GE free, and they range some great choices in peas, carrots, corn, beans, French fries, and hash browns. Now, frozen vegetables, they're picked at their optimal point of readiness. We all know, snap, snap frozen, and that locks in all their nutritional goodness and flavour. You know, they're easy and convenient to serve and can be cooked in minutes. They save the disappointment on missing out on fresh. They won't spoil on you to save on waste, and it lifts your five-plus-a-day intake. So fair to say, every freezer should have a range of these on call for dinner time. Nathan, I'm sure your freezer's overflowing with them. Um, we've had the, uh, what have I had? I've had the, the capsicum bits, uh, and also the, yes. uh, uh, what do you call them, uh, the courgette ones as well have been quite good. They are, they're very good actually. They are good to have, you know, if you want to chuck some Yeah, great in. stuff. Always remember that too, people. Once it's come out of the microwave, if you if you do the quick microwave on your beans, get the the lid off straight away. They go grey. All right. Anyway, hey, let's move on to the. Um, they do. So so it's not like there's no fresh veggies around though at the moment, though, are there? I mean, there's some. No. No, that's right. And now, because most large retailers work on a percentage formula from wholesale to retail, as it's idiot-proof, we are feeling the pain at the tools right now. I mean, for example, a 150 broccoli at wholesale could be 250 retail, but if that broccoli at the market shoots to $3 through lack of supply, retail jumps to probably $5. A $6 cauliflower can race to $10 in store. This is how scary and quickly the produce industry can react, which is why you have to be savvy when you shop. And don't be afraid to try other vegetables at times or ones that are you know, more mundane or basic. Some of these other veggies you could try this weekend could be wong bok, celery or leeks. In moderate supplies, there are tomatoes, cucumbers, capsicums, carrots, pumpkin, and thank you to the South Island again, sweet corn and beans. Thai ginger is good buying, and some new season lines appearing this week when New Zealand garlic, Brussels sprouts, parsnips, celeriac, fennel bowl, and white washed or red washed potatoes. Beautiful they are. It could always, you know, it could always be worse here. Cost of greenhouse tomato production up by 34% in Spain, we were reading, and a British supermarket is rationing fruit and vegetables to three of each to their customers. So it could always be worse here. Yeah, and I see that one of their um, politicians came out and said, so to make them more affordable, you should work more hours. So that's great uh, with what's going on up here, isn't it? Goodness me. Tell us about fruit. What's happening in the world of fruit? Well, there was a silver lining on fruit. However, I mean, I got to munch out on all the new season lines yesterday. One of those were Fijoas, as more growers of these get underway. Another, Nashi Pear from Cambridge, the Hosui. Super juicy, that was. Finished off with a tangy core. Always got to eat the cores of pit fruit, you know, saves waste. Some more new season lines were Pacific Queen Apples, Packham and Bosque Pears, and Quince, although the Quince weren't quite ready. Blueberries and Strawberries, they featured um, they featured as well. Avocados, they moved up in price. And figs, passion fruit, kiwi berry, melons, New Zealand limes, and grapefruit, they're all available. So lots there. Imported lines, well represented too, with USA Navels, Bobby Bananas, Italian Kiwi Fruit, Aussie Grapes, and Lychees, and Tropical Gold Pineapple for, for sale. 
but stone fruit, they were the best were the yellow flesh and honey peaches, plus the golden bell from central Otago coming through when they get over the Cook Strait there. Apricots in the flatos, they're finishing up. And we're going to finish on fruit of the week here for you, Nathan. Yes, we are. Hi, Glenn. What's your fruit of the week? Apples. Oh, yeah. The Toyota Corolla of fruit. Hey, reliable. Everyone's got one, you know. I love I love that saying of yours, the Toyota Corolla of fruit. Apples, not only the best value for money this weekend, but the lovely Genesis is out now as well. It's an early variety and came from the same breeding program as the Jazz. It has a sweet aroma and flavour with a refreshing punch. It's out for a short time, so do try some fresh Genesis. Beautiful. Thank you very much, Glenn. There okay. he is. See, he covers the, the, the width and breadth of all of it just for you to try and find you the best things. He's Glenn Forsyth, and we love having him as our Minister of Fruit and Veggie. Like sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. This is the day of our life we call the 24th of February. By the way, 2101 text in, do you eat the core of uh, of seeded fruit? Do you eat the core? 2101. Or are you like me and you think, but then a tree grows in your tummy. Anyway, uh, happy birthday to Mike Whitney, who's 64 years old today. And you go, who's Mike Whitney? So he played 12 tests for Australia. He had a fantastic uh, sort of curly, mullety perm thing. But most famous as the host in New Zealand of the TV show, Who Dares Wins? With Tanya. And they go, come on, mate, eat this widgery globe. Go on, do that give you 30 bucks uh, because it was a lot of money back then you could buy a house so uh, Mike Whitney congratulations to you on your 64th birthday Uh, Belgian pop star Plastic Bertrand is 69 years old today and I feel like I've been living a lie uh, for a large part of my life I thought I thought this was him he he didn't sing it he didn't write it he didn't produce it how does his name end up on this? He got 0.5% of the royalties. It was a guy called Lou Deprake. I've probably pronounced that wrong. I'm trying not to. But Lou Deprake had earlier on uh, written the English version of this, Jet Boy, Jet Girl, uh, with Elton Motello. And, uh, yeah, and somehow Plastic Bertrand went and stuck his name on this one. So he's sort of like Elon Musk inventing the Tesla. Went, no, no, it's totally me. Plastic Bertrand, 69 years old uh, today. George Thorogood is 73 years old today. I love George Thorogood, and I don't know why, for some reason, he's a bit like Mrs. Marsh with the, uh, you know, getting into the chalk here in New Zealand. George Thorogood, he played semi-professional baseball in the 1970s. He was very, very good, but anyway, George Thorogood, 73 years old today with Madison Blues, and I've always loved this, particularly uh, this little bit of slow guitar. Phil Knight, the man behind Nike, is 85 years old today. These people are no longer with us, but they left an impression. They were born on this day. Comedian Mitch Hedberg, loved him, uh, born in 1968. Steve Jobs, if you've got yourself an iPhone or you've enjoyed uh, Pixar films, Steve Jobs, the man to thank for that. And Dennis Waterman, from Minder. What a, what a... What a thing that was. Uh, he was born in 1948. On this day in 1912, the Ernst Law was first launched onto Lake Wakatipu. And it's also the birthday, uh, the anniversary of it, of course. He was born in 1536. Pope Clement VIII 
And you're going, why do you care about him? Well, he popularised coffee in Italy. He declared one day after trying some, this Satan's drink, that's coffee, is so delicious that it would be a pity to let the infidels have exclusive use of it. Uh, So, yeah, that's why we get things like espressos and that out of Italy. Uh, Coffee uh, was previously discouraged because it was believed to be a bitter invention of Satan uh, because it was used by so many Muslims. But Pope Clement went, no, actually, and... um, Fast forward it, what, five or six hundred years later, we're all sitting around eating biscotti. There you go. Uh, and that is this day of our life we call the 24th of February. It's business. It's business time. That's what you're trying to say. You're trying to say, let's get down to business. It's business time. It's business. It's business time. Joining us now from the business team is the, uh, well, we call him the boss. He's not the Springsteen, uh, but he's the boss. It's Charles Beckford. Kira, how are you? Kira, to you. The boss. I've the boss. Never, I've never been called that before. Oh, there we go. Most well, I, I mean, that's one of the nicer things I've been called, mind oh. you. But. <laughs> now, revolts are always interesting. Uh, the shareholder revolt threatens to take over. What, what's this? It's, it's, it's a company called Push Pay Holdings. Uh, one of the... Uh, one of the most popular tech startups uh, in recent years. A lot of shareholder uh, support from smaller shareholders. Never turned a profit, but of course, these are growth stocks, uh, these types of companies. Pushpay Holdings has devised uh, a donation, mobile donations platform, which is very popular with churches in the United States. So, where of course there's a big tradition of tithing or making regular donations to the church, mm. Pushpay's given them the means to do that uh, in a mobile sense. You don't have to worry about t- dipping into your pocket to put it into the plate uh, at the church. So, their growth looked really great. But they've sort of stagnated uh, in the past uh, year or so. Um, you know, the growth hasn't been quite there. They've had to spend more on their. Um, uh, the uh, technology and the software that they use. So, you know, they were just sort of, the share price had gone down a wee bit. Now, that uh, led a couple of the big shareholders in there, the big institutional shareholders, uh, to uh, combine and say, ooh, we hold about 20%. Why don't we buy the other 80%? Uh, and they nominated a price offering a dollar thirty-four a share. Well, you know, quite often these things just get quietly uh, arranged. The board of the company came out and supported it, saying, yep, yeah, there's nothing better around at the moment. A lot of people have been thinking, well, you know, this is above the recent share price, so from that point of view, there'll be a bit more money in the pocket, although I may not recover my original investment. It all looked very opportunistic and timely and the rest of it. And then a week or so ago, one of the smaller institutional shareholders, the ACC, who has stakes in so many companies you'll just never know about, hmm. they came up and said, no, we don't like this takeover offer. It's too cheap. Uh, we think the company's got some real growth prospects. Um, we're going to vote no. Now, institutional shareholders don't do this. It's like being members of the Masonic Lodge. They just don't give away their secrets. Uh, and so they said no. And then all of a sudden, several other uh, institutional shareholders stood up and said, no, well, we don't like it either. So all of a sudden, these uh, big shareholders who thought perhaps they were just going to get an easy ride, got the backing of the board, um, they're now facing some serious criticism and opposition. Uh, and all these smaller institutions are coming up. Uh, you know, at the moment, 
they probably don't have enough uh, to stop the merger. But there's a week to go for the vote, and it could well be that a lot of smaller shareholders will step in behind them. Some of the other big owners who haven't uh, expressed their opinion, they may come in behind them. They may just get enough to actually block it. Uh, And this will be an interesting one to watch. It doesn't happen very often in New Zealand. Um, And I'm surprised that institutions, by and large, don't actually take a more public stand uh, about the companies they invest our money into. Mm. So this is an interesting one to watch. Um, The board is still rock solid behind the merger, but, you know... Yeah, it might be that there'll be an increased offer at the uh, yeah at the last minute. We'll wait and see on that one. We'll keep you informed. All right, thank you very much, Giles, the man to do it. You can hear more from the business team this morning on Morning Report at ten to seven. Um, catch up there, the man with the massive TV right now where we have a luxurious sports suite is uh, <laughs> sitting in the RNZ sports department is Joe Porter, kia ora Joe how are you? Morena, good thank you Yes, um, so I was thinking this was like a newspaper column, be like Porter's Perch or something wouldn't it, is, is what we'd have what, what's, been, bad. <laughs> what's been capturing your mind uh, today Joe? Ah, well, no, obviously we've got the second test against England with the Black Caps now, uh, uh, possibly a little bit more pessimistic than others, but I hate to think what might happen in this test at the Basin Reserve. Perhaps rain might be the Black Caps' best ally when it comes to avoiding the first ever home test series defeat in six years. England just look a class above a Black Caps side who are missing some key players, and you know, I just keep thinking about the omission of Trent Bolt, New Zealand cricket deciding not to pick him, um, you know, because he has given away his New Zealand contract to pursue opportunities in T20 leagues. But you think, he's such a class bowler. He's not as old as James Anderson, who is 40 and has just become the top-ranked test bowler in the world again, taking over from Pat Cummins, who had a four-year reign. So you think, if he's 40 and doing that, wouldn't it wouldn't be bad to have Trent Bolt back in the side, would it? No, and yeah, you're right with the English. Um, there's old guys doing it. How good's that? Um, Anderson abroad. Goodness. Yeah, both close, 40 years old. Anderson now the top-ranked bowler in the world, just running riot in that first test in Mount Monganui with the pink ball under lights. Um, and you just think, oh, how good would it be to see Southey and, and Bolt in their traditional combination again? And it seems like that's something we're certainly missing at the moment. Matt Henry should make a bit of a difference in this test, you'd hope. But again, I just see the Black Caps being outclassed. Mm. Uh, also, to, speaking about class, the football ferns, they've got to come up with something before this Football World Cup because um, I was at least hoping for a goal this year and we haven't yeah, won yet. Yeah. yeah, look, winless in their last eight matches, seven defeats in that time. They haven't scored a goal in a while. Uh, 5-0 against the US, 4-0 against the US, 5-0 against Portugal, 2-0 against Argentina, 1-0 again. Look, they have improved their performances but they're just not scoring goals and they're not making the best decisions when they have the opportunity to do so. You know, you see moments during these games where perhaps there's a, there's a great opportunity to shoot and they'll instead throw a pass to almost no one. There'll be other chances where they're quite far outside the box. It looks like there's two or three people that could take a clean pass to have an opportunity to score, but someone takes a shot instead. So not only has it been disappointing in front of goal, they aren't creating that many chances, but when they do, it's their decision-making that seems to be poor. So, yeah, very disappointing from the football firms and I think that's their last... 
international friendly before the World Cup, so they've got a lot of work to do. I, I had it explained to me by my friend Nozzy Football, who, who he played in clubs overseas and stuff, and he always breaks it down for me like as if I'm three. I was like, why? <laughs> and and he said, do you know what's strange? Is the other teams look like they can all run faster. And he said, that's it. have a look at that. And I looked, I thought. Yeah, so I wonder if are we just being out athleted, even though our X's and O's might be in the right, but we, we might just not be good enough athletically somehow. So I don't know what we do, Joe. Get them into the sevens training camp. That'll 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 smarten them up a bit there, surely. Joe Porter oh, yeah. with us there. Thank you very much for Porter's perch, of course. Uh uh Super Rugby start, Super Rugby Opiki as well this weekend as well. So there is uh, an absolute smorgasbord uh, for those of you that love your sport. Coming up to 19 to 6 here, I'm Nathan Rarity at first up on RNZ National. Still to come, uh, we asked Acts 2IC Brooke Van Felden if the flood tax is a good idea and if it's time to ask businesses to pay for Cycling Gabrielle. And also, speaking of that, dead cows and treetops 10 days on from Cycling Gabrielle. Just how high did floodwaters get as livestock tried to escape the floodwaters? Uh, we're with a Tolaga Bay farmer. No Right, let's so find out what's happening in uh, Morning Report this morning with Guy and Espinner. How are you? Kia ora, good, thank you, Nathan. Um, look, obviously keeping a big eye on the rain and those mm. heavy uh, rain warnings for those regions. But a couple of other big uh, political things to watch out for this morning. We're going to be interviewing the Immigration Minister, Michael Wood, about these plans the government has to bring more workers in to help with the clean-up. Are they enough? Are they going to be allowing people in for long enough to do the job? So we'll have a bit of a grilling with him. Mm. And also Nanaya Mahuta, she doesn't give a lot of interviews on foreign affairs. I'm going to speak to her a year on from Russia invading Ukraine about our new sanctions on Russia and about where we stand and how all this fits in on a geopolitical sense. So it would be an interesting one to watch out for too. Wonderful. Thank you very much, uh, Guy, and of course uh, with Corinne up after six. Well, yeah, uh, as you heard there, a lot of uh, eyes will keep them on the uh, the weather. Experts say that climate change is exacerbating uh, the conditions. Uh, so should Aucklanders, in fact all New Zealanders, learn to live with a subtropical climate? Some monsoon weather. Niwa climate scientist Dr. Dithy Stone uh, answered that question for me. Not every summer, no. This event, a large part of it is the fact that we've got a La Nina happening in the tropical Pacific. So La Nina is the name we give to a situation where the waters in the uh, western tropical Pacific, so around Indonesia, are unusually warm. And when they're unusually warm, the thunderstorms there are more vigorous, and that has knock-on effects, kind of pushing air out from there. So it has knock-on effects around the world, really. And here around New Zealand, it tends to set up these high-pressure systems on either side of New Zealand. And the only way that the tropical air can come this way is via New Zealand rather than around it. So we get everything's kind of funneled towards us. So actually, because La Nina is something that happens over a period of, of several months, and we knew back in, say, October that um, this was happening, the seasonal forecast was actually predicting that this would be a wet summer. It didn't get, of course, exactly how wet it's been. So the situation is, is partly just because of this La Nina. Northland and around there should, should be used to having dry summers still. And in fact, that would be a hazard to worry about is, is continued dry summers. Okay, oh, okay, right. So that's that. So I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, to, to, I only know the experience of living in Auckland in these past few months, but it seemed like surely summer gets here soon. Nope. Surely summer <laughs> gets here soon. And, and is, is that what you're saying? So is that based on that, on that La Nina weather system being here at the moment? Yes, that's the main driver of what we're seeing right now. 
there are other background things going on. It's wet, or it's it's warm rather over the um, Tasman Sea and the waters around New Zealand, which allows the storms to pick up more water locally before they arrive. The effect of global warming, which is partly behind the warm waters locally, allows the storms to pick up more water and to hold more water. The air is warmer because warmer air, air can hold more water. Dahi, I want to talk about this. You're at a dinner party. You've got one person on one side going, yeah, this is global warming. You've got the other one on the other side going, oh, it's just natural cycles. You know, this this is fine. You know, are, are we causing climate change here that is perhaps leaning to these changes? Or is this just the planet doing its thing that it always does? A lot of it is the planet doing the thing that it always does. And I think one of the things that we're noticing right now when we get these extreme events is that we haven't people generally, but people recording weather down kind of numerically making station observations haven't been around New Zealand for too long. We actually don't know the full range of weather that we can get here, but we do know it can be quite variable. On the other hand, there are some aspects of the climate that we're changing, and these do have an effect on what we're seeing. So the fact that the water's warmer means that it can release more water. It wants to evaporate more water. And the air, which is also warmer, is willing to hold it. And it carries it along as it moves across the ocean. And then it hits the mountains of New Zealand and dumps it all. This is something that happens with extreme weather. It, with normal weather, it's, it's a bit of a, uh, a different story. When we get extremes, we can expect them to be more extreme. As to whether we'll get all those or not is, is a bit more of a difficult question to answer. You mentioned La, La Nina and I remember a, a billion years ago when I was at school I think my seventh form project in geography which got me over the line I should say in UE uh, was you know a, about La Nina and, and El Nino and about the changes of them so what are the I guess the yearly cycles of these like how many years do you get where it's La Nina and then how many do you get where it's El Nino? Typically so let's see El Nino's happen every four or five years on average and La Nina's happen about the same number of times so El Nino is a situation where it's warm on the eastern tropical Pacific around South America hmm. because the waters are usually quite cool there you're getting cool water from from deep under the ocean that actually has a much bigger effect because it's such a, a big change it can be like a 10 degree change so that generally globally has a much bigger effect than La Nina does but because La Nina is close to well, much closer to us here in New Zealand, it's the one that tends to have the bigger effect. We're actually in this strange situation where we've had three La Ninas in a row, three straight years. That's unusual. It's not unprecedented. It has happened at some point in the past. We could kind of hope that we're not going to be in this situation next year. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, your advice for people that live up in the subtropical part there, Auckland and North, now in their households, should we always have perhaps a flood kit ready to go just in case? It's probably wise everywhere in New Zealand to have a, a flood kit. We've just had a decent earthquake here in New Zealand, so or mm. in, in um, Wellington. I think wise to be prepared in, in New Zealand for, for various things happening. That's Niwa climate scientist Dr Dithy Stone. It is 10 to 6. Finance Minister Grant Robertson says he's not ruling out imposing a flood tax to pay for the recovery from Cyclone Gabrielle. Uh, the idea I don't think was a hit uh, with uh, the opposition or the ACT Party. Uh, joining us now is ACT's Deputy Leader uh, Brooke Van Felden. Brooke, thank you very much for being here. Why, why was it not popular with you? Oh, good morning. Uh, well, look, look, I don't want to see another tax uh, imposed that will make life harder for current taxpayers. And, you know, people are living in a cost of living crisis at the moment, make, and it's harder and harder 
to make ends meet. And we don't need to see another tax. Now, look, I think the government had three options with what they could do. Clearly, money does need to be spent uh, on the cyclone recovery effort. Uh, But they could have either uh, borrowed more, which would make it harder for future taxpayers as we pay down debt later, and introduced this uh, cyclone tax and made it harder for people who are trying to live at the moment, Uh, or they could have reduced wasteful spending and reprioritized what we are spending as a government now. And I'll give you one example. Auckland Light Rail, it's not a policy that people jump over the moon for. It's expected to cost about $14 billion and it's not necessary for Auckland. If we put something like that on hold, that's another $14 billion that could be reprioritised tomorrow uh, to help for the cyclone effort rather than a new tax. Wouldn't though, uh, there's a fourth option there that, that you, you know, you spoke about the people uh, shouldering the burden. A lot of companies, I think last week spoke about this, made massive profits. Surely there's a tax that could go to help at this because we've got to get the money from somewhere. Oh, no, I disagree with that. You know, the reason why uh, companies should be allowed to make a profit is for the exact example that we've seen. Uh, some years you have a good year, some years you have a bad year. Being able to smooth those costs over years and be able to be successful in your business uh, to help pay for a year where you might not be successful in your business is actually a really good idea. Uh, what we want to see as uh, businesses in an environment where they can thrive, where they have money going forward, where they can survive another financial year. Uh, But we also want Kiwi taxpayers uh, to be able to survive and feel like they can put put aside some savings uh, for their own lives too. At the moment, people are really struggling with the cost of living crisis. Um, We don't want another tax uh, that New Zealand Kiwis have to pay for. And we don't want more debt that future taxpayers have to pay for. Hmm. There's a lot of wasteful spending. Let's reprioritise. I'm not saying take all their profits. I guess, you know, some of it in there as well. Uh, we could do, and also I think when companies don't make a profit, they don't really pay tax, do they? I think you can write that off. Anyway, very quickly, what what sort of stories of crime and violence have you actually heard from, from people there? Because I understand that David Seymour would like to see the soldiers in there to tackle crime. It seems quite extreme. Yeah, look, I was down in the Hawke's Bay uh, on Monday and I heard some really awesome examples of people in the community banding together to help each other. And on one particular street that had been really badly affected, 200 volunteers had turned out to help clear away silt uh, and destroyed furniture. Uh, But I've also heard uh, from people in the community that they're stressed, they're tired, they're anxious, uh, they've lost a lot of possessions and they're afraid of losing the little that they have left. Uh, and we've heard that crime is increasing. Now, when the local mayor uh, says that she's heard this as well and she knows that people don't have the support and security they need, we should listen to the locals who know what's actually happening. There is crime increasing and we should listen to them and give them the support they need. Okay, Brooke, sorry, we've run out of time for this morning. Thank you very much, uh, ex-deputy there, Brooke Van Felden. Uh, we head towards uh, 6 o'clock. Farmers in Tolaga Bay, north of Gisborne, obviously facing an unfathomable clean-up. Our reporter went to meet Ray Phillips. Ray told his story with our producer, Matthew Tunison, uh, beginning uh, when uh, civil defence teams knocked on his door the night of the cyclone. Yeah, well, they, they arrived here about oh, seven, half past 7, 8 o'clock at night yeah. and said, oh, I think you should evacuate. And they lifted the gate off the hinges here, the deer gates off. 
yes. and got up to the house. And then once he saw, we said, Judy said, no, we'll stay where we are. Then opened the, opened the blinds next morning. Holy hell. <laughs> what did you see? <laughs> oh, saw water and everything, the silt and everything, right up to, if you can see up there, just there, and the bloody water was right up to halfway up the shed. Yeah. Up to right up to the power board, you know, the meter. Yeah. So this is all a river, this vast area was a river. Yeah, a lake. A, a lake, more so just a lake, yeah. And uh, what sort of farmer are you? I'm a uh, beef farmer, yeah. Beef farmer, so you and your stock? Stock, well, we've, um, we had, buddy, a de- uh, 130 odd, 125 dairy grazers in there, and ended up next morning, because I couldn't get down here, the water was as high as a deer fence through here. So what's that, a metre and a half? metre and a half, nearly two metres. Two metres. Yeah, above, above the fence height. So did they get out? And they down the, just down the road here, you see where the posts are broken, just along here? Yes. Yeah, and some of the neighbours come up the road and they saw them, and they sort of charged towards them trying to get out. They were swimming, the water was going over their back. Yeah. So how did the fence break? Uh, the cows went over top of it. So they were swimming for their lives? Yeah. And if you, if you, they all make it? No, sorry. If you look, I don't want to say that for you on here. But no, that's all right. Get, um, there's, there's some hung up in the tree down here. There's five of them that didn't make it trying to swim. Oh, I'm got, sorry, Ray. Yeah, they got caught up in the buddy. There's a cow. Just I right thought here. it was just a bit of um, debris. Can I? Is yeah. that where it ended up? There's one of them up here, yeah. And a tree. Just trying to get out of, out of the water, you know. So this is sad for you, right? Oh, this is sad. I, we pride ourselves on looking after them, you know. Yeah. But we got that one there. There's another one down oh, down through there. In a tree or just on the... No, just on the flat trying to jump over things. Yeah. Down there. And there's another another two over there. I guess in, in the bloody bushes over this side. No, there's five. Yeah. We know of, yeah. Yeah, but, you might find more. Well, hopefully we count them more back home. That we've got. Oh, yeah. We managed to round them up the other day. What we counted them was pretty well. Our numbers are pretty oh, well here. Well, sorry. Yeah, get away from me. That's pretty intense. Oof. At the moment, what are you doing? What are you focusing oh, on? Just, just clearing go, everything. Just trying to clear the gateway here so people can get in. Electrician can get in and have a look at the water pump. We got one pump going yesterday. Okay. We've got to get the farm one going. See, we had no water for the house for last week. <laughs> what have you done? Have you managed to? Oh, the tank down there at the bottom, of the hill. We've been just coming up with a. With a Quad bike and picking up a few bucketfuls, you know, or pan, big panfuls of water and take back up. Yeah. yeah. First time I had a shower was last night. <laughs> now, government's offering support to yeah. farmers. I don't know if you've seen any of that. Know what to do or. or... Bugger all yet, mate. Children want children yeah. to find out what the hell, what assistance we can get. Yeah. 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 You, you're going to need it. Oh, it's, if we can get it, we'll, we'll have to, yeah. yeah. It might make it a lot easier. That's for certain. What do you need? What do you need to do? Well, we've got to get this, this land here back in production again, yep. through here. These are your paddocks? <coughs> yeah. I mean, there's about 90 hectares here that's been actually flooded out, you know, completely silted out like that, mm. yeah. And the silt is about a, uh, at least a 300 deep. It's a friggin' big thickness. And you try and drag your feet like you just seen now, just through here. Yeah. Yeah, trying to walk, get around in it. I would have taken that rental car back. <laughs> I don't know how the hell I'm going to get the silt off. Um, but yeah, it just sticks to everything, doesn't well, you, it? You won't be able to wash it in Gisborne, that's for certain. No. There's no water in there to wash it. No, um, no, it's it's an adventure. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, you've just got to buck it up. But you're going to need a hand. Or a hand oh, would certainly help. Well, we, we, if we can get a bit of government assistance, yeah. it'd be, a, be good, yeah. But time will tell.
Yeah, Ray Phillips there ending that report uh, with our producer Matthew Tunison. Uh, those of you in weather-affected areas recently, hang on in there. RNZ uh, National will keep you updated with that all day. Andrew says, yeah, you're right, Nathan. Taxing excessive profits in these unusual times should be considered by the uh, government. And another one, Giles Beckford needs his own show. All right, it's the boss, the boss man. Morning Report is next with Guyon and Corin from all of us here at First Up. Have a wonderful day. We're back in your ears on Monday.